Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere With daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com. That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Rob Wolf, and welcome one more time to Unformidable, where we look back at some of the less heralded but still unique players in Mets history, as every player who dons the orange and blue is, in their own way, Unformidable. So the calm before the late season storm right now, uh, the Mets got through a 500 week on the road, still in that wildcard hunt, very exciting to based on where we were a month ago to have that as 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 a thing so i'm just trying to be optimistic about it going out to a city field this week to get my first chance to see marcus stroman in a met uniform which i'm very excited about you know very electric player to watch it's always funny you know with steven matz now stroman even uh, the recently acquired joe panic just always seems to be a little extra juice or a little extra interest around the quote-unquote local Mets. Although I do take a, a small uh, degree of a slight problem with that, because uh, geography be damned, Long Island really ain't Queens or New York City, is it? I, I, my friend, My friend Bob always likes to tell me, when I say I live in Brooklyn, he's like, you live on Long Island. And I'm like, geographically, fine. But no miles away no offense to everyone in long island just 
different places. I mean, heck, Joe, Joe Panic was born in Yonkers, where my family moved from the Bronx as a kid. It's close to the city, but I always knew it was not quite the city. At any rate, uh, today's unformidable Met may have been born in Passaic, New Jersey, but he was raised in Bayside, Queens, and he attended Francis Lewis High School, or Franny Lou, as I believe the natives called it, where my ex-girlfriend went once upon a time. Hi, Flo. I'm not, I, I'm not kidding. You're not listening. But anyway, it was perhaps inevitable that Mike Jorgensen would be drafted by the New York Mets, uh, eyeing the hometown boy out of Franny Lou High School, uh, out of old Francis Lewis High School, in 1966 when the Mets drafted him in the fourth round. And this should be a this will be a fun and circuitous, if you will, unformidable because yeah I've been trying to really structure these it kind of kind of makes sense to me logically or as Brian had suggested to me to structure it you know pre Mets tenure with the Mets post Mets obviously depending on the player and their career you might get a lot more of one or the other what was notable in their career but Mike Jorgensen as many of you may know, had more than one tenure with the Mets. So we'll be following his journey from the Mets away and back and away again. So away we go. So after being drafted in 1966, uh, young Mike Jorgensen uh, went straight from high school to the Mets organization. He was uh, decent in the minors, it seemed, uh, statistically speaking, but not world-beating by any stretch of the imagination. But he did uh, jump straight from double-A to the majors and was a young 20 years old when he made his major league debut on September 10th, 1968. Gotten about eight games down the stretch that year, uh, pinch hitting and playing first base, went two for 14. He recorded his first major league hit on September 14th against the P Pittsburgh Pirates, a pitcher named Bob Veal. The uh, game was a 6-0 Mets defeat in which Roberto Clemente would take Tom Seaver deep twice. Now, perhaps you may have heard, but 1969 was a far different season for the till then perennially struggling New York Mets franchise. So while Georgie was excellent in AAA Tidewater, he put up a 9.04 OPS, uh, hit 21 home runs, uh, which is a number he'd never see in the majors. Uh, the 20, 21-year-old spent the entire 69 season in AAA, never appearing with the world champion Mets or earning, you know, getting in a playoff game or earning a ring. Uh, the big club would acquire Don Clendenin to fill their first base void to uh, that veteran presence. And, well, we can't can't knock the veteran presence there. It certainly worked, as Mr. Clendenin notably won the World Series MVP. And, and he also had a great uh, 1970 with the Mets. Uh, Jorgensen was on the Major League team pretty much all through the 1970 and 71 seasons uh, as those Mets teams struggled to reach the those World Championship heights again. Uh, they finished 83 and 79 each year, but, you know, as a team that was going for it in, in going for it mode the young uh, player was primarily a first base outfield backup uh, behind Clendenin in 70 Ed Cranepool in 71 getting a little time in the outfield behind the E.G. Jones Swoboda group 
Uh, but in those two seasons, he only got into 121 games and recorded 205 at bats, and he hit uh, 195 and 220 in those seasons. So the young New Yorker uh, never really got a big opportunity with uh, you know, basically a club trying to capitalize on a championship window built largely around young pitching. Oh, that's a that's a classic Mets story, isn't it? Anyway, right before the start of the 1972 season, the Mets sent the still only 22-year-old Jorgensen to Montreal. Uh, Jorgensen became an expo along with Tim Foley and Ken Singleton as the Mets brought in Le Grand Orange, Rusty Staub. At the time of the trade, Jorgensen recalls being, quote, pretty devastated. There's a actually great Anthony McCarran article the Daily News about four or five years back, uh, where he tracked down and interviewed Jorgensen, and uh, he got some interviewed him about his time with the Mets, and he, yeah, it stands to reason he'd be pretty devastated. Uh, young man playing in his hometown, he lived with his parents at the time of the trade, and had a nice five-mile commute to Shea Stadium. But Jorgensen did note, you know, he said, if I had known I'd be on six clubs eventually, I wouldn't have been so down. I was young. It gave me a chance to play every day. It was a nice trade for all of us. And that's probably a pretty, pretty fair assessment. Uh, it, the trade from the Mets was certainly not the end of Georgie's baseball journey or his journey as a New York Met, not by a long shot. While a fractured wrist would derail much of Rusty Staub's 1972 season with the Mets, he was, of course, a productive and pretty beloved Met, one of the best players on that 1973 championship NL champions team the following year. Of course, Ken Singleton would become the player the Mets would ultimately regret trading most of all, although, again, they, they did at least acquire a player of great note and value in Staub. But while, while Singleton would go on to become an all-star player, uh, Jorgensen would have some solid years of his own as a Montreal Expo. In Montreal, uh, with an even more expansion franchise than the New York Mets than a good 10 years into existence, 11, uh, Jorgensen is pretty much an everyday player uh, for the Expos from 72 to 77, primarily as a first baseman, although again, he would move to the outfield from time to time, which I, you know, I just see from games played. I was kind of curious because he earned a reputation as one of the best defensive first basemen in baseball, uh, winning the 1973 Gold Glove. He was the first Expo to win that award. Always funny. I, I remember the Expos so fondly. It, it just still burns me that their records are tied up with the Washington Nationals now. It's just it's just wrong. But overall, as a ball player, Jorgensen seemed to have a reputation as a defensive first first baseman, you know, which supplemented with a really good batting eye, but not a ton of power. You know, a bit of an anomaly for a first baseman, of course. Uh, but yeah, the, the, his eye certainly, especially when in those Expos years, helped him record some productive seasons. For his career, Jorgensen walked 532 times versus only 589 strikeouts. In in the best season of his career, 1974, that ratio was absolutely astonishing. 70 walks versus 39 strikeouts. 74 was an incredibly anomalous year for him. I mean, you know, if it was a steroid era, you'd probably <clears throat> start questioning him. Not, not, not saying anything about you, Mike Jorgensen would never imply that. But it just, you know, really just jumps out. Uh, I don't even think it was his 
quote unquote age 27 season. I think he was probably even younger than that. Uh, but he hit a career high 310, uh, recorded a 931 OPS and a 156 OPS plus, reaching double digit home runs for one of only three seasons in his career. I mean, he hit 261 the following season, which is also a very good season for him overall, but that's the next highest batting average he recorded where he had more than like 50 plate appearances in a season. So it was really, uh, 74 was really the peak. Uh, he, he did hit a career high 18 home runs in 1975. Uh, it was just an interesting stat line. He didn't hit for a lot of doubles. His, he had 18 homers in 75. He also hit 18 doubles. Both, both of those are career highs in those categories. He had 95 career home runs, only 132 career doubles. Just, um, I don't know, kind of a lightish hitting def- defensive first baseman with a good eye. Dave Magadan-esque. I don't know. No, Dave Magadan hit for a much better average, uh, I think. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. At any rate, Jorgensen got traded from the Expos to the A's in the 77 season. Uh, he had very little playing time with both teams. And then the 77 offseason signed with the Rangers, as Texas Rangers, as a free agent. Uh, he would play nine more seasons, but he was almost primarily a backup if you look at his numbers over the next nine seasons he averaged about 150 at bats a season in his various stops his time with the rangers was very uneventful statistically but it's worth noting because of an on-field incident that it's one of the first things you'll find if you google or look up mike jorgensen in the on May 28th of 1979 with Texas, uh, Jordan was batting against Andy Hassler of the Red Sox. Uh, pitch was thrown actually behind him, and you know as he flinched and ducked out of the way, he ducked right into it and got hit square in the head. Uh, days later, uh, Jorgensen had bad headaches and was taken to the hospital. Uh, while at the hospital, he passed out and went into convulsions, uh, it was discovered they had a blood clot in his brain, and they had to administer oxygen immediately. And you know, according to reports that I read online, if, if that hadn't happened, Jorgensen would have joined Ray Chapman as the only major leaguer to die as a result of being hit by a pitch. So it was a very scary moment, uh, obviously, for Jorgensen. And one we'll uh, discuss briefly was his return to the Mets that he naturally clearly never forgot. So Jorgie came back home after the 1979 season, after that scary incident. The Mets had made a 
deadline trade with the Rangers where they sent them Willie Montanez for a couple of players to be named later. Jorgensen joined Ed Lynch as those players, those PTBNLs. And back to the Mets, Mike Jorgensen came. Jorgensen played a decent bit in 80 for a very poor Mets team and had one of the most memorable moments of his career um, on June 11th, 1980. Uh, came in as a defensive replacement in the ninth inning of a game and in the bottom of the 10th off of then young reliever Rick Sutcliffe, Mike Jorgensen clobbered a game-winning walk-off grand slam in the bottom of the 10th. It was, uh, yeah, that 80s team wound up being quite bad, although at the time, you know, I think they brought their record to 25 and 27, and, you know, after a couple of incredibly bleak years, you know, people had some hope, I think, that quickly faded in 1980, but uh, it it seems like a very memorable game at Shea. Craig Swan was the winning pitcher going all 10 innings to record the victory. Uh, We don't see that much anymore, of course. And if my very perfunctory research is accurate, it is one of only seven walk-off Grand Slams in Mets history. No, that does not count Robin Ventura, unfortunately. Uh, We'll always remember it all the more fondly for it not being a walk-off Grand Slam. But it seemed to be the second. Uh, The first was Tim Harkness in 1963, Mike Jorgensen, and since Jorgie uh, accounted Tim Tuffle, Kevin McReynolds, Ike Davis, Danny Valdespin, and Joey Batts last year. Uh, If anyone remembers any others or can find any others, please let me know. But quite the list. In that McCarran article I mentioned before, uh, Jorgensen still remembered every detail. He said, high fastball, two and two count. You don't hit many grand slams, so you remember it. And he does remember it as one of the better moments of his career. A little later that season, in July, uh, Jorgensen came to bat uh, immediately after Joel Youngblood hit a two-run homer off of Bill Gullickson of the Expos, and Gullickson threw a 0-2 pitch at Jorgensen's head that Jorgensen thought, I think, had clear intent. Uh, and obviously, remembering his experiences before, yeah, which I think was much rarer in 1980, he started out towards the mound, pointing his bat at Gullickson. Uh, he, Jorgensen was restrained by uh, Montreal catcher John Tamargo, but uh, apparently John Stearns came charging out of the dugout and football tackled Gullickson and initiated what was a, you know, by pretty pretty large, uh, maybe not 1986 style, but a pretty pretty impressive bench clearing brawl, I think. Uh, anyone who remembers John Stern's enthusiasm in the 2000 playoffs as hitting coach, if, if not his incredible enthusiasm as a ball player, which I remember, uh, probably won't be too surprised by, by that story. But in 1980, 119 games through into 21 at-bats. Uh, last year, I'd say he got any regular playing time as a starter. Uh, he Well, he hung around baseball uh, from 81 to 85. He never recorded much more than 120 at-bats in a season thereafter, 124 actually being the high. And Jorgensen became uh, dispensable to the Mets on a very notable day in Mets history, uh, June 15th, 1983, when Keith Hernandez came to the Mets. The Mets uh, sold Jorgensen's contract to the Atlanta Braves. Uh, spent the rest of 
he spent a full actually a full season with the Braves. He spent June 15th, 1983 to June 15th, 1984 and in at the trade deadline at that trade deadline in 84, uh, the Braves sent him and Ken Daly to the St. Louis Cardinals for Ken Obrickfell. So the Queens boy became a Cardinal in 1984 and 1985 where he got to participate in uh, that intense rivalry for those two seasons. And Jorgensen would actually get his only postseason appearance uh, experience in 1985. His his last baseball experience was in the postseason in an L- NLCS in a World Series that really should have involved the Mets. But so it goes. So it too often goes for Mets fans, right? Jorgensen went 0 for 2 in the LCS and 0 for 3 in the World Series as a pinch hitter as the Cardinals beat the Dodgers in the 85 NLCS and lost to the Kansas City Royals in the 1985 World Series. For his career, Mike Jorgensen appeared in 1,633 games, recorded 3,421 at-bats. She recorded a nice little 9.1 war, according to baseball reference, 95 career home runs, so close to 100, uh, hit 243, uh, 347 on base percentage. Again, you know, great, great batting eye. Uh, only a 373 slugging percentage. You know, not not ideal from a first baseman slash outfielder. Uh, his 720 OPS and he had an, a 101 OPS plus for his career. So you know, long career as a uh, you know pretty much average major league hitter. Uh, certainly to be commended. Unfortunately, his Met numbers were not as impressive. He recorded a negative 0.6 war, according to baseball reference, in his 492 games and 800 at-bats as a Met, 234 batting average, 682 OPS. And if you thought Mike Jorgensen was the enemy in 84 and 85, if you remember those seasons, he's been in that Cardinal organization pretty much ever since. Uh, Dal Maxville was the Cardinal GM in 1985 and told Jorgensen he wouldn't be offered a contract in 86, but he did offer him a role in the organization as a minor league hitting instructor, and Jorgensen's role with the Cardinals has pretty much continued unabated since. He worked his way up to minor league hitting coordinator in 90 and 91, and then served for 10 years as the Cardinals director of player development, aside from an interlude in 1995 that I had zero recollection of, and I'll be impressed if anyone else does, but uh, following uh, Joe Torre being fired as manager of the Cardinals in 1995, uh, Jorgensen finished the season. I didn't even remember that he was fired in season, but Mike Jorgensen managed the Cardinals for the last half of the 1995 season, leading St. Louis to a 42-54 and one-loss record. When I googled Mike Jorgensen and I saw a managerial record, I was like, what the hell are they talking about? But I imagine if you looked up a list of Cardinal managers, you would see Mike Jorgensen nestled in between Joe Torre and Tony La Russa. And... Oh, how I'd hate to be nestled between those two people in any way, shape, or form. Anyway, when Larissa was hired, uh, Jorgensen went back to director of player development and basically since 2001 has served as a senior assistant to the Cardinals general manager, primarily scouting the American League. But Met fans of two generations can have uh, some kind of fond memories of Mike Jorgensen, I would hope, especially 
that 80s vintage, uh, you know, some people might remember as a walk-off Grand Slam, uh, Mike Jorgensen and the Catch the Rising Stars, myths of the early 80s, although he was certainly not one of the rising stars by then, but was part of that pre-great 80s team's era of hope. Or we might just remember Bob Murphy constantly telling us that Mike Jorgensen was born on the same day that Babe Ruth died, August 16th, 1948, uh, which, you know, he unfortunately did not prove to be Babe Ruth reincarnate, but he did prove to be a fine Major League ball player and an unformidable New York Met. So thank you for taking the time to listen to this tale of Jorgy. And thank you, as always, for listening to Unformidable. Please go to AmazonAvenue.com for more Mets-related content. Follow Amazon Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find this and all of our Amazon pods wherever you get your podcasts. Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify. Please subscribe and leave a review. Original music by Bunga. I'm on Twitter at WolfRR, W-O-L-F-F-R-R, and the show is at Run for Metal. Thank you, and let's go Mets!